Welcome to the IBJ podcast for the week of April 4th, 2022. The podcast is brought to you by Taft. I'm Leslie Weidenbetter, the editor of IBJ. This week, our regular host, Mason King, is on vacation. So we turned the podcast over to IBJ arts writer, Dave Lindquist, who reported last week that world-renowned tenor Andrea Bocelli will be performing in Indianapolis for the first time on December 7th with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra. In this week's podcast, Dave talks with the symphony's CEO, James Johnson, about how the show came to be and what will make it special for the ISO and for the city. Plus, they dive into what's upcoming for the orchestra, how the hunt for a new music director is going, and how the symphony is working to diversify its organization, as well as the works it is performing. Here's their conversation. I'm Indianapolis Business Journal reporter Dave Lindquist, and I'm happy to welcome James Johnson, CEO of the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra since 2018 to the IBJ podcast. Hello, James. Hey there, Dave. Nice to see you. Good to see you. We're getting together one day after a major concert announcement for the city. Famed Italian tenor Andrea Bocelli will make his Indiana debut December 7th at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, where he will be accompanied by the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra. We could not be more excited about that, Dave. It's, it's been uh, a long time in the making, this concert, and we were so proud to announce that uh, yesterday uh, for all of central Indiana to hear. It's going to be a very special occasion. Uh, it's during the holiday season on December 7th. For those fans of the AES Indiana Yuletide celebration, take heart, you can attend both. Uh, we are not going to be one competing over the other, uh, but it, right in the middle of, of the Yuletide run, we'll also uh, be with Andrea Bocelli in concert. That was one of my questions. I was wondering if there was a little juggling in the schedule. A little bit. A little bit had to go on, but we're not going to be in two places at once. We, will, we, <laughs> we made sure that that's going to be a dark night uh, for Yuletide celebration, and uh, we'll give our full attention and the full orchestra to Andrea Bocelli that evening. Excellent. That's a Wednesday, I believe. It's a Wednesday, December 7th at Cambridge. All right. Uh, may I ask you to talk me through kind of how the concert came together in terms of the ISO's participation? You know, this was something that, as I said, we've been working on for a number of years. Uh, Andrea's team reached out to us, I think, in 2019. It may have been before that. And uh, they were looking at coming through uh, on a Midwestern swing. And uh, he usually tours twice a year during the holiday season and also around Valentine's Day uh, in the U.S. And um, you know, just it's just uh, aligning the dates when the orchestra is available, when the Cambridge Fieldhouse is available, when he's available. Took a lot of time, but uh, I'm really proud to say that uh, this all is going to work out really well for us. So I'm always curious, and uh, hopefully listeners are too. How much advance work happens between now and the performance? I mean, from an outsider's perspective, your musicians are incredibly adept at like throw a challenge at them; they'll turn on a dime, get it done, but uh, how does it work when you're tasked to work with a touring musician like it, this? You know, it's really most of what, what uh, the work is about logistics uh, for the concert itself and, and, uh, and you know, making sure the business deals are all wrapped up uh, in advance and the ticket sales are going smoothly and uh, we're taking care of donors and sponsors and that sort of thing. But when it comes down to the music itself, uh, I, I think people would be surprised to learn that the musicians um, 
you know, we'll have the music to look at in advance. But essentially, they, the rehearsals start the day before the concert. Uh, there's another rehearsal on the day of the concert. And then they do the concert that evening. And that's not at all different than what we do in any week uh, that the ISO performs. So, for example, we have concerts um, this coming weekend with uh, our former music director, Christoph Urbanski, and we'll start rehearsals on Wednesday with the orchestra for that, uh, for, the, for the first concert on Friday. Uh, and frankly, there'll be plenty of time to work out the kinks and get ready for the concert, but it's not something we have to necessarily have, have rehearsed weeks and weeks and weeks in advance. It usually just happens really close to when the concert takes place. That is super impressive. Okay, you mentioned ticket sales, and you also mentioned his team reaching out to the ISO. I'm very familiar with the uh, world of uh, popular concerts and promoters such as Live Nation or kind of mom and pop uh, promoters. Does the ISO have a promotion role in this event? We're ha we have really two two aspects of the deal uh, might might be of interest to listeners. One, of course, is that um, the the services of the orchestra are paid for uh, by the team behind the concert, and so they are essentially hiring the the orchestra for a couple of uh, for the uh, for the rehearsals and concert. And then we've made a special arrangement to reserve a certain number of tickets through the Bocelli team uh, as well as Cambridge Fieldhouse to um, use as a fundraiser for the ISO. Oh, great. So we're going to have a limited number of seats, and it's, it's going to be a VIP event. There are some details on our website uh, that uh, people can look at at indianapolissymphony.org. And essentially, um, we're going to be selling those tickets at a premium to raise money for our education and community engagement programs. And um, it's, it's really a great way to enable us to support um, the programs that give back to the community. And it says a lot about um, Andrea Bocelli that this is an arrangement he does wherever he goes uh, on tour, I understand. And giving the orchestras an opportunity to give something really special to their best patrons to have those great seats, but also to support the work that the orchestra does in the community. So we're, we're really proud to have, uh, make that part of this deal. That's great. And uh, it kind of dovetails into this uh, next historical thing I wanted to talk about. Just touching on the rarity of an artist of this stature coming to Indianapolis. Uh, Luciano Pavarotti performed here twice. In 1986, he played Market Square Arena, and in 2000, he played Conseco Fieldhouse a few months after it opened. At the Market Square Arena show, the ISO accompanied him, and the show was partially a fundraiser for the Indianapolis Opera. How would you describe the chance to catch an iconic tenor such as... Uh, Bocelli. I wouldn't. Action. I wouldn't hesitate to get tickets if you're interested. I think, in fact, I'm. I'm fairly confident uh, this show, which tickets go on sale April 11th, and I think it's going to sell out fairly quickly. So I would hope that folks would would uh, make up their minds fairly quickly that if if they want to attend. There's no guarantee when an artist like that will come back through the market. I, I hope that he will find that the Hoosier welcome is, as usual, unparalleled in the country. Uh, not only will he have a world-class orchestra accompanying him, but he has a world-class audience. And that, that's certainly what artists have found time and again when they've come through Indianapolis. What a great community this is to play for. So we hope that will inspire him to return often to Indianapolis. 
but there's no guarantee. So uh, when you have this opportunity, uh, you got to jump on it. And we as an orchestra, this is something, as I said, we've been working on for a number of years, but uh, when it, when it, you know, the decision time came, I have to say, we cleared our schedules Let's to make this happen. I think it's not a stretch to say, you know, the lifestyle we've been living for the past two or so years accentuates how important it is to do. Th- I have a Facebook friend. His mantra is always, buy the concert ticket. You know, you like you just said, you never know how life unfolds when or where you're going to have the opportunity to, to experience something. You know, the saying is, is uh, experience is not things. Right. And so for the past two years, sure, we've been able to go online and, and, and buy something and, and it's delivered to our home. And, and that's great. And what an incredible convenience that has been. But we've been missing these experiences. And, you know, something like the Bocelli concert with the ISO is just an experience not to be missed. And uh, I will say that since we've come back to giving concerts this past fall, it's been a slow but steady increase in attendance and people really realizing how much they've missed the live concert experience. And so you look at this summer's schedule and there are concerts happening almost every day by big name artists, yep. whether they're with us or, or at the other venues. And uh, that's because there's just, there's a pent up enthusiasm for, for, uh, to experience live music once again. Now, this concert is happening in an arena with a seating capacity in the neighborhood of 15,000 people. What are the challenges when you place this style of music in a room like that? What's changed since I started in the business decades ago was the sound quality of the the loudspeaker systems. It's so much better than it was before. So the musicians can hear better, and certainly the audience will hear uh, a beautiful sound uh, in the in the field house. And so the the challenges from an uh, you know just an, an audio perspective of being in a big auditorium have really been addressed with uh, you know the the contemporary loudspeaker systems that we're using. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've got the you know the incredible uh, opportunity for for video and lights. It really is an incredible visual spectacle. Sure. Sure. these days as well uh, and that's something new that we're you know we've been uh, playing with it in at Hilbert Circle Theater when we do concerts uh, more and more lighting effects use use of video and, and other things that enhance the experience we never want to detract from from the the experience of, of hearing and listening right. but certainly that's all part of the experience now you want to yeah. you want to have a, a comfortable seat you want to be able to have a visual spectacle as well as hearing music that you, that you love. I'm thinking of two two things at Gamebridge Fieldhouse previously, Banker's Life previously, Conseco. Uh, the best hour of audio I've ever heard in that building was the Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young came and they played two sets. The first set was unplugged and the second set was uh, fully electric. That first half, unplugged, was pristine. And I think when, when uh, tours come into a building... I think sometimes they want to overpower the room, but going the other way, I think, really helps sometimes. So this this concert will be, in many respects, Andrea Bocelli unplugged. Now he's never plugged in with a, with necessarily right. a, a giant a ginormous rock band behind him. He's yeah certainly has some elements of that, but it is it's with an orchestra, and an orchestra is all about nuance and quality of sound. We'll have a full symphony orchestra behind him. 
when you're working with instruments of quality like that and a sound palette, a color uh, spectrum that an orchestra offers, you really get a chance to hear things you haven't heard before. And I'm hoping there'll be moments of quiet sure. and just, you know, real beauty. I mean, that voice of his is, is there's just no, none other like it. And, you know, you need an orchestra behind that voice to just, you know, wrap it up in a blanket of, of beautiful sound. And I think you'll be able to hear that at, at Gamebridge. All right. I'm getting fired up. Um, the other thing uh, you mentioned, you don't want to detract. Uh, I remember the first time I saw Paul McCartney in that room, and he had an amazing video uh, display. And I found myself during the show saying, don't look at the video. He's right there. Look at him. <laughs> So yeah, I I appreciate what you said about that. It's certainly it's certainly I tell you I you know so with at Symphony on the Prairie uh, a couple of years ago we installed three video screens that are just state of the art beautiful screens um, unbelievable quality and and detail and I have to find I've I've sat in you know great seats you know ten rows back from the stage and I find myself looking at, looking at the screens and I've got to say the same thing myself like, wait a minute <laughs> just stare in front of you there's the act yeah, there's yeah. the artist but sometimes the camera angles are so remarkable and you feel you feel like you're in the band you yeah. feel like you're yeah. in the orchestra and so you can't resist sometimes and it's it's part of the experience and yeah. that's that's okay uh, find, yeah. find the best of both absolutely. Let's take a break to hear from our sponsor. This is the IBJ Podcast. Taft, today's modern law firm. With more than 625 attorneys across 11 offices, we provide solutions to the business issues facing middle market and emerging companies alike. We do this through a highly collaborative and inclusive team approach. Taft, the modern law firm. To learn more, visit taftlaw.com. Welcome back to the podcast. IBJ Arts reporter Dave Lindquist is talking with the ISO's CEO, James Johnson, about what's ahead for the organization. Uh, This morning on YouTube, I watched the December 2021 interview uh, with Bocelli uh, that he gave to the BBC. He talked about being a youngster and his parents kind of trouting him out to sing for uncles or relatives and family friends. And his stage was basically the fireplace in their home. And he said uh, he kind of resented it. He's like, I didn't, I didn't really want to do, I didn't really want to do it, but I did. And then this kind of repeated at school and at church. And he's, he said he realized that this was his destiny to, to be a singer. And obviously. He embraced it uh, with time. But do, do you think that's a, a trait among musicians and great artists that kind of the, they find that they're on a path that's kind of preordained? It's irresistible, I think, for a, a musician. And I we certainly, uh, among the 70 or so musicians of the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra, you could say almost the identical story applies to each of them. You know, being a world-class musician or singer, um, it's not something you frankly can pick up, you know, in your 20s or 30s. It's too late. 
um, unfortunately. Uh, as much as all of us weekend warriors would love to think <laughs> of ourselves as great guitar players, you know, it really has to, it is something that begins at a very young age. And so um, you've got to get the violin in the child's hands when they're four, five, six years old. Now, it's, it's not wasted if you, if you get it to them when they're teenagers. That's okay. Sure. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, there's, there's, it's never too late to start an instrument. But if you want to be of a world-class status, then you really have had to have started early and, and, and find your passion. Um, you know, the, the musicians in our orchestra... Um, yeah, they started early, but they also, some spark was lit at some point, and it was perhaps by a teacher, maybe by their parents, maybe by an opportunity to sing in front of a crowd for the first time or play in front of, a, uh, of an audience. And that instilled in them a desire to work at it because it, this is work. It's not just, um, you know, all fun and games. Uh, and as a musician, as a singer, uh, and I, I most assuredly, Andre, Andrea Bocelli doesn't just wake up and, and decide to sing in front of a stadium. I mean, he has to work at his craft each and every day as well. And so you've got to find the passion that enables you to sit in a practice room if you're a violinist for 10 hours a day and, and really hone your craft over time. And, uh, you know, and there are times when you hit a plateau. You think I can't get any better than where I am, and and you but you keep working at it. You keep coming at the same problem from different angles, and suddenly there's a breakthrough. And oh, this is how I can play this passage. This is how I can improve my sound. This is how I can play more in tune. And and those breakthrough moments are just uh, remarkable in the life of a musician of any artist, where you realize if I keep at this long enough, I can be at the top of my game. That's fantastic, and it kind of answers the next question I was going to ask, because Bocelli also talked about how important it's been in his career not to pay too much attention when people tell him he's great. Uh, he described it as a humility to keep working to improve his technique. And as you just said, that's a trait of successful artists. Absolutely. You don't let that success go to your head as an artist. I mean, the, the moment you do and you stop practicing <laughs> is the moment you're no longer at the same level you were before. And so uh, thinking about an unrelated artist, artist Doc Severinsen, for example, yeah. you know, a, a, in his 90s and still playing, he practices trumpet hours every day. And he says, if I don't, then I, the next day I can't play any longer. And I will say that um, the same is true for our musicians. You talk to them and they go on, they go on vacation and they bring along their mouthpieces okay. just to make sure. sure they keep the technique going. And uh, it's almost a fear they have that, that they put down the instrument for more than a few days then the technique goes away. So they have, to, they have to really work at it to maintain that level. It's, it, again, it's, um, you're, you're born with a natural gift. You're, you're born with talent. But unless you work at it each and every day, the talent atrophies. And at the end of the day, um, you know, it's the work that matters. You just brought up Doc. And uh, I wasn't necessarily going to bring this up, but you have an interesting Tonight Show lineage, right? You worked with <laughs> Skitch Henderson? I did, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, Skitch is not a name that, that people today will recognize, but Skitch was the first music yeah. director of The Tonight Show. And uh, I had a chance to work with him at, at really the end of his career. 
I was um, appointed to be the executive director of the New York Pops mm -hmm. at, at Carnegie Hall. So I got to work with Sketch about the, the last five years of his life. And for me, it was a life-changing experience. He introduced me to music that I hadn't heard before. And then, uh, you know, Sketch was one of these people who knows everybody and has been everywhere. And, uh, and, and you know, you were either a friend or you weren't. And so um, no matter who you were, and he had a lot of friends. And so <laughs> I had an opportunity to get inter introduced to some people that I still count as my friends today who are you know, wonderful artists of all stripes. Fantastic. Unless I missed a big announcement, the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra presently is searching for its next music director. What are you looking for in that, in that person? It's a great question. And, and uh, we've been fortunate to have had in Christopher Bansky a wonderful um, uh, artist, uh, someone who uh, really endeared himself to, an, to the audiences. And so we're certainly looking for someone who has those qualities, um, you know, can, can, uh, with a, you know can, can conduct a lot of music, a lot of repertoire, also has a way, a magnetic personality. Uh, but one quality that's, you know, we've identified is really important and th that our musicians share as well. The music director has to be a wonderful ambassador to the community yep. for the ISO. They've got to uh, be able to and and willing to and be enthusiastic about reaching out to everywhere in the community and bring new people to the ISO, reach out to new groups that may not have thought themselves part of the ISO's orbit and bring them into the to the Hilbert Circle Theater for concerts. Um, you know, we've got a real challenge that um, our audiences are, um, you know, they've got to be uh, replaced and sustained over time, mm -hmm. you know, people. Uh, so where are you going to find those audiences of the future? And a music director has a role to play. In, in some ways, the music director of the ISO has got to be the leading spokesman or woman for classical music in Indianapolis. And they've got to be able to articulate why this music is so important, why it should be part of everyone's life, whether they play an instrument or whether they, they just appreciate the music. Um, this, the music director has got to be somebody who stands up for that. Is there a timetable for the hire? We're waiting until, you know, obviously we're working at it every day in terms of uh, recruiting um, guest conductors to, to uh, work with the orchestra week in and week out. And you've certainly seen a number of, of new faces conducting the orchestra this season, and there'll be more next season. We want to, you know, we want the right person to be uh, the music director, and so we'll be patient in that regard. I have to say, you know, I'm, and I, I don't want to come across as somebody who's just a homer, <laughs> but I have heard from guest conductors who stood in front of this orchestra recently that the orchestra has never sounded better. They're excited to be in front of this orchestra conducting, and frankly, some conductors who might not have considered the opportunity to become music director are having second thoughts once they uh, hear what this orchestra can do. Uh, you know, th these musicians are phenomenal, and together they're creating some incredible sounds at, at Hilbert Circle Theater. So. I just I got a sense that there's a real enthusiasm for what's going on right now with their playing, and so I'm confident that we'll be able to attract a very high quality music director for this orchestra. I like it. That sounds great. I'm not sure I'm clear. Uh, the pandemic affected uh, many things, of course. Did it affect Christoph's 
transition or the end of his term? It, it certainly did. You know, Christoph, we had um, we had mutually agreed that uh, that the I believe it was the 2019-2020 season would be his concluding um, uh, season uh, with the orchestra. And unfortunately, of course, you know, we had concerts uh, scheduled. And in March of 2020, that all came to a halt. And so while we would have loved to have enabled him to conduct um, the concerts that were scheduled for him, uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, the pandemic had other plans for us. And so we weren't able to give him, you know, the real celebration that he deserved as our outstanding music director. Mm -hmm. And so we'll continue to have Christoph back for concerts in the future. And, And of course, um, there's a real soft spot in this community for for him as a musical leader of this orchestra. So, uh, you know, we'll we'll have other opportunities to to give him uh, time on our podium. But unfortunately, yeah, the pandemic uh, stood in the way of our of our best laid plans. Also related to the pandemic, health checks. Uh, the present policy at Hilbert Circle Theater is proof of vaccination or negative test required. You can bring food or drink into the concert hall now. You can and face coverings are recommended. Uh, I see that this summer's Kroger Symphony on the Prairie at Connor Prairie will not require proof of vaccination or negative test. What factors in the ISO's decision? It's with real um, a sense of relief that the pandemic seems to be subsiding, but we've got to be cautious. And I think as a society, we've got to be careful that not to get ahead of ourselves in saying that it's over because We've said that before and yeah. been completely <laughs> wrong. Um, I think back to July of 2021 when we all thought, "This, you know, let's go out and party." A beautiful three weeks. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So we're being cautious. Uh, you know, what I don't want to do is 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 reimpose um, requirements on our patrons. Sure. We want to be just, you know, as we lift these these requirements. We want to lift them and, and never go back if we can avoid it at all costs. You know, we've also been very, con- very consistent. The, the same requirements that um, you see for guests of the ISO are the ones that employees have had to follow as well as volunteers. And so we're trying to be consistent across all of our stakeholders. And uh, I'm hopeful that as we look at the, uh, the numbers, frankly, uh, of, of cases and we look at the recommendations from the CDC, and then we ask our medical advisors and our and, and our, our our team of of advisors from the science science community. Uh, as we get their advice, we can be um, yeah, less stringent about these requirements, and perhaps by the end of the season, we'll be in a different place. Uh, I'm ho- I'm really hopeful that um, we can be uh, you know be more open with 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 uh, going forward. I I certainly get letters all the time from patrons who are sure. less than satisfied with our policies. I've always said the same thing. We do this to protect the most vulnerable among us. And not to suggesting that uh, the ISO is full of vulnerable people, but we have to be aware that uh, there are those who are immunocompromised or they live with people who, you know, for whom the disease could be a death sentence. And so let's just be patient and cautious. And uh, soon enough, we'll be back to uh, as it was before. I know we're right around the corner of uh, announcements. Uh, We've got the Symphony on the Prairie season and then the 2022-23 
uh, season. Anything you'd like to share with listeners as a sneak peek? <laughs> well, I, this this will be released on uh, Monday, April fourth, right. and on Monday, or Tuesday, April fifth, we'll be releasing the details of our Symphony on the Prairie season. So, with respect to that, I want to be careful not to to let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> <laughs> but I do want to say we'll have twenty five concerts out of Symphony on the nice. Prairie. I could not be more excited about the uh, the the performances that we've got scheduled there'll be 10 concerts with the Indianapolis Symphony Orchestra you know i have heard and heard from our from our patrons in the past couple of years how much they enjoy listening to the orchestra at Connor Prairie and so um, there'll be more concerts uh, than we've had in several years with the ISO at Connor Prairie I can also tell you that plans are on the horizon in 2023 to have even more concerts with the orchestra I think there's just nothing like being out at Connor Prairie um, listening to an orchestra and there's just something really magical about that we're in partnership with Connor Prairie to present this season. We'll have, as I said, 10 concerts with the orchestra. You for sure are going to see uh, the Star Spangled Symphony, uh, the yeah. perennial favorite around the 4th of July uh, out there. We'll have uh, some headline artists. We'll also have very favorite uh, tribute groups as well. Um, so uh, there's a lot, to be, a lot to be enjoyed out at Connor Prairie. So we encourage people to look it up on our website and, uh, and, and come join us. Different this year than we've had um, in the, the long-term past is that uh, we do require that people purchase a date-specific ticket. Um, we no longer have the voucher system. Oh, okay. But with that, we have a very liberal, liberal exchange policy, and certainly if there's a rain out, um, you know, the, the tickets, uh, the value of the tickets is immediately put back on your account. You can come another time. So there's really, a, it's, it's a risk-free proposition, uh, but we do ask that you choose the date you want to come. By doing that, though, we, we're enabled uh, to have more one-night performances, and so there'll be different groups on Fridays and Saturdays, and so there's a lot of variety this year. Um, and, uh, you know, we really think that there's going to be something for everybody. Every type of music that you enjoy, you'll find out at Connor Prairie. Nice. Yeah, I think it's really become an Indiana experience that, that, that people should have. Well, we, uh, you know, when we, for years and years, it was Marsh Symphony in the Prairie. And when, unfortunately, uh, you know, Marsh uh, went through a patch uh, of tough times, and of course, they're no longer here, I would say Kroger stepped right up as our sponsor. And they were excited to be part of this event. And now um, people who are looking for the lowest price tickets, go to your local Kroger and you scan a QR code uh, right there in the store. It's exclusive to the stores and you get access to the lowest price tickets. So we're glad to have Kroger as a partner. Okay. So we're talking a little bit about finances. I wrote about Newfields recently, and as part of that reporting, I checked in on their endowment, which grew 27% between June 2020 and June 2021. Has the ISO experienced a similar increase? We've been very fortunate in that the endowment is, uh, is it's very healthy. It's healthier than it's been in a number of years. Uh, right now, it's about $110 million in its value. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't compare in the same, it's not in the same ballpark necessarily as those for the uh, New Fields or the Children's Museum, which have much larger endowments, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's a healthy endowment. And frankly, that, that endowment enables the ISO to serve its community year in and year out with great community engagement education programs. And that's, you know, it's, it, um, 
It doesn't allow us to, to um, forego annual fundraising. We have to ask our, our community to support us each and every year, but it does uh, provide some necessary help, um, yeah, particularly when uh, you know, there are years where um, fundraising or ticket sales might be impacted by something like a pandemic. To have that steady support from the foundation is, is just critical. Does a healthy endowment mean that uh, labor relations are, are better or, or more concrete? And I don't know that it, it impacts our labor relations per se. I can tell you, of course, that uh, you know, we do have a unionized workforce of musicians and stagehands. And they certainly do look at the financial health of the ISO overall, including uh, our endowment, but how we're doing on ticket sales and how we're doing on contributions. Uh, I will tell you, we do have a th we started uh, a new labor agreement with our musicians this year, a, a new three-year uh, agreement. Great. And for the first time, we have musicians serving on our board of directors. And so they have access to the same information that the board does. And I believe in transparency in what we do. I want to be transparent with all of our stakeholders, including our, our patrons. But definitely our musicians are seeing they, they, you know, how we're doing at, those, at the quarterly or the, uh, every other month we have a board meeting, they get those statements of how we're doing on ticket sales, how we're doing on fundraising. And so I w hope that we can provide them peace of mind, that we can meet our obligations. And having a strong endowment enables us to meet our obligations. The worst thing we could do would be to make promises we can't keep. Sure. And so if we have the assurance that the endowment is healthy and that, frankly, we're not rating it to uh, to uh, to keep our lights on uh, but we're it's being managed uh, well and we're being good stewards of the community's resources because don't forget it's the community that creates that endowment over time by mm -hmm. uh, by gifts um, uh, of one kind or another and so it's the community's um, contract with the orchestra that they make this gift they expect those funds to last in perpetuity and so they expect us to be good stewards of their funds. Excellent. Thank you. Last year, I interviewed University of Michigan professor Louise Toppin about her African diaspora music project in which she catalogs works by black composers that haven't been published or have been underperformed or have never been premiered. Uh, Indianapolis is also home to the Melanated Moments in Classical Music podcast, co-hosted by Angela Brown and Joshua Thompson, which does similar work in uh, showcasing black artists. I know the ISO earned praise for its Year Invited campaign that emphasized an, ex an accessible and welcoming message about the orchestral music, and the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra is an ISO program that's a fantastic model for inclusion. Uh, does the ISO have plans to showcase more works by black composers in the future? Indeed we do, and in fact, uh, there are almost every one of our concerts uh, during the classical series this year, and it will continue next year, has an, uh, a work by an artist of color. Uh, of course, in classical music, we've been un underrepresented by gender diversity as well. And right. so um, uh, I will tell you that uh, last week, as this program is airing, we're doing a, a, a program of music by composers from Finland. Well, we're featuring a, uh, a work that was written by a woman 
composer from Finland uh, in the 20th century that's probably never been performed in the U.S. before. Mm -hmm. So we are really looking for um, undiscovered composers of um, various backgrounds and showcasing their work. We have the honor of having a stage um, in Indianapolis that enables us to celebrate music by composers from all types of backgrounds. And so whether it's composer uh, from the black community, a Latin X composer, a composer who's been otherwise marginalized, we have the opportunity to showcase their work. So we have um, later uh, this season, uh, Awadajan Pratt, a uh, wonderfully talented uh, pianist, has commissioned a work from Jesse Montgomery that we're going to be premiering uh, on our stage. Um, so a female black composer, a black pianist, um, Etc. So, you know, this is an example of how we've made a commitment to diversity on our stage. But it it really has to go. It it can't just be representation on the stage. It right. has to be. It has to permeate through the organization. And so we've we have asked ourselves the hard questions of, you know, how do we have of uh, greater diversity not only in our music but in who's playing the music, who's in the audience who is behind the scenes uh, as well. And, you know, these are some questions, some, some of these questions are easier to answer than others. Um, and it's some, some systems are very pervasive. And, you know, we're trying to address that, for example, with the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra, mm-hmm. where we're giving opportunities to uh, young musicians from across the community to be part of something uh, apart from themselves, be part of an orchestra. And, uh, and you know, certainly we're reaching um, into all areas of the community with the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra. We call it a youth and family development program. It's right. not just about, um, uh, you know, getting the child to be a better musician. It's about improving the whole child, including their families. And so when a child first comes into the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra, we ask a parent or guardian or caregiver to come with them and learn the instrument alongside that child. That's cool. So that they get to be, uh, you know, so then the student becomes the teacher. And it's true that usually that's the parent that's that's struggling with the instrument where, you know, the five or six year old is is racing up and down the keyboard or the fretboard and can teach the parent. Thank you for your time today, James. Uh, I will close by sharing that ticket information for the Andrea Bocelli performance. Tickets go on sale 10 a.m. April 11th to the general public. They will be available at GambridgeFieldhouse.com and at the venue's box office. Thanks again. Thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Thanks again to James Johnson for talking with us this week and to IBJ's Dave Lindquist for filling in for Mason King. Before you get on with your week, there are a few stories I wanted to mention in this week's IBJ. Dave Lindquist and real estate reporter Mickey Shuey each have stories about the construction underway in Broad Ripple. Dave details how the city is working to fix drainage issues along Broad Ripple Avenue, as well as upgrade a bridge and put in a new trail. Mickey updates the latest apartment and commercial projects that are underway or will be soon. Also, John Russell explains how the surge in Eli Lilly and Company's stock is boosting the assets at the Lilly Endowment, which increases the amount the endowment must give away. And as Dave mentioned during his conversation with James Johnson, he reported a story about the status of Newfield's diversity and inclusion efforts one year after its president resigned in the midst of a race-related controversy. 
You can find all of these stories and more in the latest issue of IBJ and at IBJ.com. Thanks for listening today. Mason King will be back next week. Thank you.